in a stadium rich with tradition. We have that here, and it reeks. And when you come in, teams take the field, they can feel it. The lights shine the brightest. Definitely playing at Camp Randall is one of the best places to play in college football. This is the Cam. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, and the Athletics' Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Yes, welcome into the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He's Jesse Temple. Badgers uh, did not look good at all against Northwestern. Losing, well, I shouldn't say at all. Uh, there were parts of their game that looked okay, but uh, it did not end up in their favor. They lose 17 to 7. We'll get into to all of it, break down what went wrong with Graham Mertz, what went right with the defense, and uh, get into your Twitter questions as well. Jesse, we'll start, though, uh, just overall impressions of a game that, you know, has always been tough for Wisconsin, but you get the shock right before the kickoff, about half an hour before kickoff. No Danny Davis, no Kendrick Pryor. And I think uh, my feelings about the game changed pretty quickly once I saw that come out, and it proved to be uh, pretty important as Wisconsin's past game really, really struggled without those two guys. Yeah, I thought the same thing you did, and it obviously wasn't a surprise to Wisconsin because the Badgers had been preparing knowing full well who would and would not be available. But certainly when we get the pregame status report and see that the team's top two receivers aren't going to be available, it changes a lot of things. And it's funny because last week against Michigan, that status report had eight players from the season opening two deep who were not available, and it didn't matter at all. But this was a much different situation because of how much Davis and Pryor mean to the offense. You look at what those guys have contributed, especially compared to everybody else in the wide receiver room, it's unbelievable. Those two guys have caught 163 passes for 1,965 yards and 16 touchdowns in their careers. So with them not available, the guys who were in Wisconsin's two deep combined for 14 catches, 136 yards, and one touchdown. Those were their career numbers. Obviously, there's a freshman and a redshirt freshman in Chimray DK and Stephon Bracey, but it completely changed the complexion of the game because of what Wisconsin could do offensively and the options that Graham Mertz had. And it certainly didn't help matters when Jake Ferguson got hurt in the second half. Yeah, no, it, it definitely didn't, certainly with him. And he ended up leading the team in catches anyways and yards, seven catches, 58 yards. But, you know, it was just a completely different-looking offense than it was the week before. Now, again, Northwestern has one of the top defenses in the country However, I felt like Wisconsin kind of played into their hands a little bit, especially you know in the run game. We'll get we'll get back to Graham Mertz in the passing game, but I want to I want to just look at the run game because they had a chance to pound the ball at Northwestern with Jalen Berger, and they decided not to do so. They ran the ball forty times or had forty carries, and Berger had fifteen of those carries. Now that was more that was more than double than anybody else. But did you feel like they could have gone to him a little more? Graham Mertz passed the ball forty one times. He had 41 attempts. That's way too many a game where you don't have Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor, at least in you know in my opinion. Did you think that they did not use Jalen Berger enough in that game? I think he has emerged in the last two games as the number one running back on this roster. Uh, it was good that he got the 15 carries, but 93 yards, 6.2 yards per carry, you want to ride that hot hand. Uh, and I guess that's why he got as many carries as he did. But it is notable that you combine Nakia Watson's and Garrett Groshek's carries, and it still wasn't as many as Jalen. And I thought he ran hard. I thought he showed that burst. And he's able to plow ahead, too. I mean, I know that's the role that they they give to Nakia Watson. But Jalen converted, I think it was a, a short 
run for a first down yep. and, and move the pile. And five of his 15 runs went for first down. So what he was doing was effective. And I realize as we're discussing this, we're playing Monday morning quarterback, ar- armchair quarterback, Monday morning quarterback. But it's just that the, what he's done the last two games to me makes it clear that he needs as many touches as, as he can have. Yeah. Uh, Nikita Watson had 26 yards on those seven carries that he got. Half of it came on one run. So, again, you know, and, and Garrett Grosser just didn't look like himself. So he his his long rush was 13 yards. His other six rushes went for minus three yards. They they weren't as effective as Jalen Berger was, and it felt like he didn't get as many opportunities as maybe, maybe he should have. Again, as you said, we are kind of looking back at it, but I think even within the game itself, I think a lot of people are wondering why you couldn't just, uh, you know, ride him a little bit. But, again... It is what it is. Uh, the reason why you had to ride him a little bit was because the passing game wasn't there, and, and Graham Mertz, you know, uh, ran up against some of the first on-field adversity that he's had at Wisconsin. Uh, gets got the game, you know. He obviously, he had the fumble that that set up. I should say that the fumble from Garrett Gershick set up the first touchdown. Graham had another fumble, uh, but you know, he bounces back with that long touchdown pass to Jim Dike, and you think, all right, everything's fine. But he didn't look like himself pretty much the rest of the game, and and a lot of uh, throws just off here, just off there. Uh, and, you know, turning the ball over combined four times after not turning it over at all in the first two games. He looked like a, a, a guy making his third start. He did. He looked human. And it's it's interesting because if this was a game from a Wisconsin quarterback of previous seasons, basically anybody since Russell Wilson, people would probably be calling for anybody else to step in. But, I mean, you know, Graham, as you mentioned, it's his third start. We saw what he did in the first game, but he's human, and he didn't have a lot of options. He didn't get a ton of help, and he certainly didn't help himself. Northwestern has done this and will continue to do this to a lot of different opponents. Paul Chris talked about how Northwestern played a lot of different coverages, and they brought a lot of pressures, but it just seemed like Graham could never really get comfortable other than the one long 49-yard touchdown pass to Chimray DK. There were several instances during that game where he had a man open if he either would have stayed on a read or stayed in the pocket. You mentioned the fumble that Graham had, if I'm not mistaken. I think Chimray DK was open on that, but Graham got out of the pocket and wound up fumbling, and some of the throws were off. Yeah. I think a one in the fourth quarter to Jake Ferguson, guy's wide open in the middle of the field. It's not a very long throw, and he throws it behind him off his hand. So it was a tough day, and it was – exacerbated by the fact that there just weren't a lot. They just didn't have any playmakers. They didn't have enough yeah. to beat a really good Northwestern team. No, they didn't. That that Northwestern defense is good, but I thought that there were some plays to be made, and they just they couldn't make them for whatever reason. You know, with Graham, we kind of talked about this last week, whether there would have to be a conversation when and if Jack Cohn is ready to play again, whether there should be a conversation within the the – uh, offices of whether Jack should get that job back. And after the first game, certainly no conversation. After the second game, it wasn't as good. After this one, is there a conversation that, that is being had, do you think? Or is or is this is this Graham's team? You know, I this is a tough one because we always react to generally a single game. Yeah. And it's what's in front of us or, or the, the most recent development. But I do think that after what happened, if Jack were healthy and ready to go, I do think it, it would have to be a serious conversation. I, I, I mean, I know. Look, Jack struggled at Northwestern a couple yeah. of years ago. Yes, we were at did. that game, and Wisconsin Oof. lost that, and that was one of 
Jack's first opportunity. It was to, his first start. Oh, there you go. So, you know, th- this is not just a unique to Graham. But yeah. having said that, I mean, I, is, is it fair to ask ourselves, what if Jack were healthy? What would this game have looked like? I don't know if Wisconsin would have won, but I don't know that Jack would have turned the ball over four times. Well, maybe that's not fair because Jack probably wouldn't have completed 95% of his passes against Illinois. But it's just, it's worth considering. And I do think that based on the result, you, you at least don't uh, deny that opportunity. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, the first starts for the first three starts for, for Jack Cohn, Alex Hornibrook, you know, even Joel Stave, you know, they weren't masterpieces by any stretch. Uh, you remember that Northwestern game two years ago in 2018? You know, Cohn was 20 of 31 and threw a touchdown, but he also they also fumbled three times, and I believe two of those, I think one of them was was tagged to Jonathan Taylor, but it probably could have been to Jack Cohn. He struggled in that game. His second start came at Penn State, was even worse. Threw two, uh, threw two interceptions that day, got sacked five times, and uh, also had uh, some fumbles there. You know, it wasn't until his third start that he that he really turned it on. Even and then, it was not until the the late in that game against Pence uh, against Purdue, where Jonathan Taylor ran for three hundred and some odd yards. But it was really, you know, the two touchdowns that Jack Cohn threw that to Danny Davis that uh, got them back in the game. And you go back to twenty sixteen with Alex Hornibrook. You know, he was solid against Michigan State in his first start when they when they beat when they beat them down. He was sixteen to twenty six for one hundred ninety five yards, a touchdown, and an interception. And now again the competition the next two games was much I think probably more difficult than what Graham has faced these last two games but at Michigan nine for 25 a touchdown three interceptions for 88 yards and then uh, against Ohio State they, a game they lost in overtime 16 to 28 214 yards a touchdown and interception it wasn't so it's not like and I, I I'm I think people are I mean he has been significantly better in his first three starts than those two guys were in their first three starts and same thing with with Joel Stave. so I, we shouldn't overreact to just one poor performance without you know the two best wide receivers and a, and a dinged up tight end and a and a running game that when you run it forty times can you be um, not committed to it I don't know but it, it felt like they could have been more committed to it considering their issues uh, on the outside but I think it is a conversation that they're going to have to have but how long how much longer is Jack Cohn out you know he's been out there the last few games before the games, throwing the ball around, apparently moving well. We haven't seen it because we haven't been at the games, but I think that's a question for Paul Christ. Uh, you know, is he back? Is he going to be returning to practice here? If he's going to be returning to practice and, and getting closer to playing? Because, I mean, it's it's uh, it'll been seven weeks on Tuesday that he uh, had that surgery. So I think it's getting closer, and I think it's a conversation that probably has to be had, but it's very, very pr- wrong of us to overreact to, to one game from Graham Mertz where – he didn't have any weapons and facing a really good defense. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I definitely agree with you. Uh, at the same time, I, I don't think, I mean, just, just saying that you're going to have a conversation and explore it doesn't mean you're pulling the plug on the Graham Mertz experience here. <laughs> Three well, that, games into the season or four or five. But, you know, you've got a guy who started 18 games, who led the team to the Rose Bowl last year, who was a leader, who was captain, all those things. And if you feel like Graham isn't playing well in this moment, it's not the worst thing in the world to have a guy like Jack. Just for Wisconsin to have two quarterbacks of that caliber at this stage is something we, I certainly haven't seen in my ten seasons on the beat before this year. Really, no, they've got they've got some guys. Going going back to the wide receiver situation though, how big of a concern is that moving forward? Not even just this year. There's only three games left in this year. Uh, at you know four at most. I should say five. I guess five at most if you count the bowl game and, and you have the Champions Week. But how big a concern is that moving forward considering? What we saw 
on Saturday. Essentially, it's Chimray DK and Stefan Bracey, I guess. I mean, that's that's the future of the position at this point because Tosh Mustafa didn't get on the field until late, late in that game. No A.J. Abbott. Obviously, we think Chimray DK is going to be good, but do they have anybody else outside of perhaps guys coming in next year, you know, Mark Scram or, or whoever it's going to be? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, then, and, I think it's and, and I guess I should mention also Aaron Cruikshank catching the game-time touchdown against Michigan last night certainly probably could have been used uh, against Northwestern. I think it has to be a significant concern moving forward. And this is the great unknown and something we'll continue to discuss or monitor at least is because this is a free year of eligibility yeah. for everybody. Hypothetically, all those guys could come back. Now, I don't know if they want to. Kendrick mm-hmm. Pryor is a fifth-year senior. Danny's been around for four years and played. And I don't know whether Wisconsin will honor those scholarships. That's right. for another day. Yeah. But you've got four guys that are seniors with those two, with Jack Dunn, Adam Crumholds. It's going to be a young. It's going to be a young group, right? Chimray DK, to me, is the the future. That the, the number one guy next season. If those guys aren't there, Stefan Bracy has potential, and I think Marcus Allen is somebody you have to look at based on what he's done in high school, based on what it means in recruiting for Wisconsin Landham. That they're going to need some young guys to play earlier than perhaps Wisconsin would do in other seasons. They got a couple other guys in Chimray's class with Isaac Smith and Devin Chandler. I know Devin was really good in high school and and seems like somebody who could play earlier, but we just don't know because we've been talking about guys like Taj Mustafa and A.J. Abbott for a couple of years, and it hasn't seemed to materialize. So maybe that's the year where they take a step forward, but it has to be a concern because there's no Quintez Cephas, and I don't know. Maybe it's a Marcus Allen, but that's not fair to put on him before he's gotten here. I don't know if if Chimray DK is enough for you to win games. And the thing is, I think it would be tremendously frustrating for Badgers fans if Mertz is is ready to roll and they don't have the playmakers to put around him at wide receiver. Right. Yeah. No, th- that's definitely the case. But there were there was a point yesterday, late in that game, where where he was throwing to Jack Esbach, um, yep. Taj Mustafa, Stephen Bra- uh, Stephon Bracy. I think that those were like the skill position guys at at, at a point there and. That's probably not what you were thinking of coming, not just into the week, but into the year, uh, having to count on any of those guys to to produce this year. But they were counting on them yesterday, and they just couldn't get it done offensively. I don't even know if to bring the, I don't even know to bring this up, but they said it on the telecast. Joe Rudolph is now calling the plays. He got that job this year from from Paul Christ. Uh, do we believe that? <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's interesting that these Nuggets are dropped in and. We cover the team, and as <laughs> the first we've heard of it, you know, it's like everything is a a secret of some sort. I don't know. I, don't I suppose know. I believe it. I don't know why they would make that up. I, I mean, well, R- I, Rudy's been around for a long time, right? And they've and he's had a huge role in in game planning and that type of stuff. Chris has given him credit for the game plans uh, the, the first two weeks of the year, but that was a little bit of a surprise, uh, just because. And again, maybe I haven't seen Paul Christian's little mini note card this year, so maybe that is maybe that's the truth. I don't know, but it's yeah. I mean that that's different. There's that's different. And when things don't go right, people are gonna be like, "Why'd you give up the play calling?" Things didn't go right, Paul Chris. Why'd you give up the play calling? No kidding. Um, the offense, as bad as the offense was, is uh, outside of you know some of the run game stuff with Jalen Berger. The defense was just as good. You know what I mean? Like the de- Wisconsin defense outplayed Northwestern's defense outside of. The obvious turnovers, which of I think uh, Wisconsin had a lot to do with that, uh, you know, kicking themselves or hurting themselves. But defensively, 
they were fantastic. Their run defense uh, may be on level of 2017. Uh, like they, they are that good right now stopping the run. They allowed nothing. They allowed 24 yards on 23 carries. Northwestern came into that game averaging 174 yards a game. And to me, the most impressive part about the defensive performance really came in the third quarter because Northwestern went three and out on five consecutive drives. None of those possessions lasted longer than a minute. Four of those five, uh, Northwestern didn't gain more than two yards on the drive. Unfortunately for the Badgers, that came at a time where Wisconsin's offense also <laughs> couldn't muster anything. They punted four times, and then the, the fifth time was a turnover on downs. But yeah, they, they've been excellent. I think the inside linebackers were incredible, really. Jack Sanborn had 14 tackles. Uh, Leo Chanel had six, and he had five quarterback hurries. And I looked this up on Pro Football Focus. Those were the only two guys on defense who played every single defensive snap. And you think about it, they basically had to, right? right. Because Mike Mascalunas, the third guy, wasn't available, and they don't trust the guys after that because they're all young and haven't played. So they're not the only ones who performed well, but it was a, it was a tremendous effort from the defense, and, and frankly, it was wasted. Uh, they deserved better, and they came up with, with di- big plays at different times, especially right at the goal line when Northwestern was about to go in to score. Spencer, Spencer Lytle wound up recovering that fumble for a touchback, so yeah. they were very good. I'm sure we'll get into the pass interference calls whether you think they were legit or not. Uh, but those calls notwithstanding, it was a really solid performance defensively. No, it, de- it definitely was. And look, their their defensive line with Keanu Benton and Matt without Matt Henningsen now for the rest of the year, it's Garrett Rand, Isaiah Loudermilk, and Keanu Benton. And then we saw a little bit of Isaiah Mullins as well. He's now that third guy that de- at, at defensive end. But those other guys are going to have to play a ton of snaps, and, and they did, and they more than, than held their own against that that Northwestern offensive line. And, you know, you talk about the pressures. They had 13 quarterback pressures. They only got to them once. Jack Sanborn got the sack. But they they pressured them 13 times. All but two of those came in the second half when Northwestern, I think, kind of abandoned the run because they weren't it wasn't getting done and so they were passing a bunch. And that's why I think a lot of those drives were only lasting as long as they were. But they lose Rashad Wild Goose, and they still more than held up. Obviously, I, I, I'm not willing to – to kill Dante Burton for that right before the half touchdown. That was a really good throw and a really good catch, though I don't think Eric Brell thought it was a catch uh, <laughs> after the game, the way that he was talking. But either way, uh, you know, Northwestern guys made a couple of plays, but Wisconsin's, uh, Wisconsin's secondary held up too. I mean, it was, it was a very, I think, a very good performance. It just wasn't enough. I mean, it took Peyton Ramsey 44 attempts to get 203 yards. And it's, you know, that's a 4.6 average. Uh, average yards per attempt like that's it's not going to get it done in most days but it did because Wisconsin's offense couldn't get anything going if you'd like to talk about those pass interference calls we certainly can because I think it was obviously a huge talking point and uh, it deserved to be because they had four of them three of them came on drives in which Northwestern went on to score um, a field the touchdown early in that or the first uh, was the first touchdown right you know and then they had the uh, the field goal later on that that made it a two-score game and kind of put it out of reach I think uh, you could make the argument that there was and another one that wiped out an interception. So uh, yes, you could make the argument that maybe one of them was truly, truly legit. Uh, I think Eric Burrell may have gotten there a step or two uh, early. Uh, that was the one that led to the field goal. But the other ones, 
I thought that there was a ton of hand fighting going both ways. And I just, you know, when you turn around and you find the ball and you still get called for it, I think it's trash. And I thought a lot of those, I thought three of those calls were, were largely um, BS, to be honest with you. Uh, I would agree that three of those calls were questionable, to say the least. There was the first one was on Scott Nelson, and it looked like the guy, and the guy drew both pass interference calls in the end zone. It, it sort of looked like he stopped, ran into him, and fell down. Yeah, he stopped, <laughs> and they called it, they called a pass interference, and then. The second one was on Wild Goose, which to me looked like good coverage. And yeah, the third, the Caesar Williams one to me was the most like I'm looking at the replay and I just don't see anything there. He played it well. He had his head turned. He was looking at the ball. He kind of cut off the angle. It wasn't like it was a, a great ball over Caesar's head. I mean, he came back for it and he intercepted it and they called a pass interference call. And Caesar obviously was uh, not, not too pleased with it because he took to Twitter with two different tweets, one of which he called it highway robbery. And then the other one, he, there was a video of the play and he commented on it. Uh, and uh, so that, that to me, that's tough. And I know if you're a fan, it's sort of a time honored tradition to complain about the officiating. I think there were some legitimate gripes, but again, there were a lot of other plays in that game, and if Wisconsin's offense was even average, the Badgers would have probably walked away with a win. Uh, still, though, it, it is, it's a tough pill to swallow when you feel like you're looking at those even in slow-motion replay and having a difficult time seeing what the officials felt they saw. Well, the funny thing about the, the Caesar Williams was uh, apparently they told Fayon Hicks that Caesar didn't play the ball. Like, he didn't, he didn't play the ball, and yet, how did he not play the ball? He intercepted the ball. Like, how do you get, how do you play the ball if you don't intercept? I mean, I, that doesn't make any sense. You know, that was the that was the call from from the official. It was they were they were tough, very very tough calls. And I believe Wisconsin had what was it, eight penalties for sixty nine yards. Northwestern had one penalty for five yards. So yeah, I think that some people would take issue with that. But this you you mentioned the defensive performance they deserve better. You know this game came on five years to the day, the last time Wisconsin turned the ball over five times. Do you remember that game? Yes, a loss to Northwestern. Was that the Jazz PV? It was. It was 13-7, to seven, so, and I was going back and thinking, oh, I remember that game? I certainly do. He had about 12 steps in the end zone, <laughs> and it was an incomplete pass. Yes, yeah. So, I mean, they were. it was very, very similar in the idea that Wisconsin's offense couldn't really do anything. You had a defensive performance that was off the charts great. Uh, I should say off the charts good, and some very very questionable calls from the officials that because they got I think they had three touchdowns taken away that day. You had the Alex Erickson punt return for a touchdown that he apparently waved it off and then picked it up and ran, which apparently you can't do. And then obviously the uh, right before the Jazz PB catch, Troy Fumagalli caught a touchdown that he, and they rule him down at the one, and then yeah the Jazz PB touchdown that was not. The, mo- the most ridiculous play of that whole thing was, or maybe even heads-up play, was Dario Gumbawale getting up there and snapping the ball after Joel Stavi got, got knocked out. Remember, yes. like, he didn't, he didn't know what he was – he had no idea where he was. And uh, and Dario got up there and snapped it and spiked it, giving them one more chance, and Bart Houston came in and it was incomplete. But, yeah, that was a that was a crazy game, but it was five years to the day of that disaster that in Evanston yesterday. Um, maybe we just shouldn't be surprised that – anymore during a Northwestern game that it's it's inexplicable how much success Wisconsin has had against uh, a lot of the teams in the conference and yet they're one and six in the last seven games at Ryan Field that says something obviously about Northwestern style of play and the way they match up with the Badgers but every single one of those losses Wisconsin has been in the top 20 (laughs) has found a way to lose yeah and the one we were talking about was at home at Camp Randall so 
uh, Pat Fitzgerald has, has had uh, Wisconsin's number here in the last several years. Well, isn't it uh, Big Ten West teams? Uh, Paul Christ has six losses to them, and three of them, I believe, are to Northwestern. I mean, 20, 2015, 2018, 2020, obviously lost to Illinois once, lost to Minnesota once, and uh, lost to Iowa once. Right? Is it my, am I forgetting any? Because they haven't lost to Purdue. They haven't lost to Illinois. I, I, they haven't lost to... Sounds- uh, well, they lost they to lost once, yeah, but they haven't lost to Nebraska. Nope. So I think that's it. I think I, th- I think he's got six losses in six years in the Big Ten West, and three of them are to Northwestern. Yeah. Nobody uh, else. It is pretty crazy. It is. Yeah, no doubt. There were a couple of coaching decisions, and I know this is so. I mean, it's unfair, of course, but doing it anyways. Your opinion on punting from the thirty-six yard line when it's fourth and three. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was, that was when Graham, would he take a sack two yard loss, right? So it was fourth and three Yeah, at the 36. Yeah. And I know you're playing field position, but it's fourth and three and you're off at the 36 and your offense, you're, you know, their offense ended up not taking a single snap in the red zone. Yeah. They never got inside the 20. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I'm not a it's fan. It's not of the it. first time we've seen it. No. Um, and maybe it just felt like you couldn't move the ball. But if you're that close, it's a, that's a t- that's a tough one <laughs> to swallow. I think. And the other one is uh, not trying to kick a 40 yard field goal. Obviously, you don't have any faith in your kicking game. <laughs> right. And Graham got sacked for a 10 yard loss. Right. I mean, the all out blitz, and he gets sacked in all the routes except for one towards the end zone. Like it, like Jake Ferguson is the only one that ran anything close to being something that you could get for a first down with, especially in that situation where the blitz is coming. I wonder if a more experienced quarterback either calls timeout when he sees the blitz or checks away from it. But uh, they were up against the clock a bunch yesterday. The tempo for that offense, and and you know, I think fans in Wisconsin have kind of gotten used to the clock ticking all the way down because the Packers with Aaron Rodgers, it almost it happens almost every snap because he wants to get as, as much information as possible. But it felt like there were a number of times yesterday where the clock got down and Graham just wasn't, you know, wasn't able to look things over and, and, and make any adjustments because they were getting to the line so so late. But yeah, no, the the, uh, the punting and then the and then when you're down two scores at your own, I don't know, it was like the whatever it was, it doesn't really matter. You're down two scores with uh, six minutes left, punt punting there. That to me felt like the white flag. I don't know. It it was it was a Weird game, and those games down there usually are. Evanston is not a fun place to play. I said it at the beginning of the game. It feels like teams are like 10 times slower on that field, and, and Northwestern included. It, they just look so slow. I don't know if it's the angle or it's the grass or whatever it is, but this looks so slow on that grass in Evanston, whoever goes down there. Ohio State, Wisconsin, doesn't really matter. It just feels so slow. And uh, one more note about the game, Todd McShay. Yikes, dude. What uh, you that, you called oof. it because you 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 were like what's something doesn't look right with him he did and not they look, pulled him off the broadcast yeah which I was I was watching too like yeah there was, <laughs> there he was did, something going on obviously he, did, he wasn't feeling well he uh, he did not look healthy at all did not sound good at all uh, I know people were saying that he had been out the night before whatever that is but or or potentially the result of just maybe he was just sick I mean he already had COVID he had he had COVID uh, he missed the draft uh, because he had COVID but. I mean, it's not like he hasn't been doing games all year. Uh, so I think I think it was just him being sick, and but he did not look good. Oof, did not look good at all. And yeah, he was trending after that. Let's get into some of the Twitter questions that uh, we've got here. 
on Wisconsin says, I have a question. What the hell was that? Now that I got that out of my system, where was Keanu Benton all day? Um, on the field? I don't I mean, he got credited for the forced fumble, although I don't really think he did anything when Isaiah Bowser basically lost the ball at the goal line. But uh, I don't know if I know the answer to that. I have to look up some advanced stats. Look, when a team runs 23 times for 24 yards, your nose tackle is making some plays. Whether it's yeah. whether it's him holding up guys so that Jack Sanborn can make 14 tackles or Leo Chanel being able to to get to the quarterback five times, it's because there's a lot of a lot of focus on uh, your guy that is among the best defensive linemen in the, in the league uh, already at the already at this point. So, you know, I, on that goal on that goal line play that they ended up fumbling, you know, I think they gave him credit for it, even though he didn't come close to it, but. Uh, he whipped his guy. Like he abused his guy. He he may have been yeah. able to he may have taken Bowser out had he got actually gotten control of the ball. But um Keanu Benton's a monster. And it just because perhaps it doesn't show up in the uh on the score sheet every day, the importance he has, just ask Jack Sandborg and Leo Chanel about it because they sing his praises every time they're asked about him. So Yeah, I feel like of all the questions that you could ask after this game, uh, one about Keanu Benton is probably pretty low on the uh, you know, totem pole there of, of importance. You know what I mean? I think he did his job just fine. Uh, Scott says, why is Nakia Watson playing? He doesn't seem, <laughs> he doesn't seem like he's better than Berger or Groshek. And at times much worse. He does add a note. I don't think the loss was on him. I would agree. Well, I, I mean, the more Jalen plays, the less, Nikki is going to play. So some, I mean, there's only so many carries to go around, but you look at what he's done this year, he's averaging what? 3.7 yards per rush or that, that was what he did against Northwestern. And he had 3.3 against Illinois. So not a lot of big plays from him. I mean, I don't think they're just going to pull the plug on him. You can still provide, you know, that downhill threat, but there's just, when we talk about playmakers, uh, there's really not much going on in the backfield other than Berger. So I don't know what they do. It's uh, <laughs> It's got to be disconcerting if you're a Badgers fan because this has been the bread and butter for so long. And uh, the guys that you thought you would ride with really haven't shown up much. Well, I mean, obviously, they haven't had Isaac Garendo th- these last two games. And I think he probably was obviously in their plans. But I, I also think it was noteworthy that, that – um, Joe Rudolph said that Berger wasn't healthy for that Illinois game. We were kind of wondering why he didn't uh, even see the ball, you know, late in that game. He had been dinged up yeah. and wasn't really ready, and so I think those couple of weeks off really helped him, allowing him to be ready against Michigan and then certainly against Northwestern as well. And I think they'll, I think they continue to build his his uh, carries. I think the, his load will continue to grow as he gets more experience. I agree, and and you mentioned Garendo, and I thought it was interesting couple things. One, after the game, Paul Christ was asked about whether what Jalen had done would, would warrant more touches. And for the second time, I think in the last week or so, he basically said yes. And when he was talking about the guys they would need moving forward, and maybe he said this just because Isaac hasn't played the last two games, but he mentioned Groshek, Watson, and Berger. And he, my other thought is, I don't know when Isaac comes back whether there's going to be a real role for him because in my mind, Berger provides what they thought Isaac would. Yeah. He's just doing it better. He's the he's the burst guy. He's the guy who can catch passes out of the backfield, and he's been effective in two games. And so in my mind, I really don't know if there's a role for Garendo uh, if you're going to play Berger as many snaps as he has unless you think Garendo can fit in 
and take some carries away from some of the other guys. So that, uh, Berger clearly is an emerging star after two games. He's led the team in rushing two straight games. So I don't know how he's not the number one guy in the next couple games. Yeah. And, and you know, maybe, you know, Isaac is a wide receiver, right? Like that's what he came in as. He, that's what he played in, in high school. So, I mean, there's a maybe, maybe use him in the slot. I don't know. This is just perhaps a lost year for him, like it has been for so many, uh, so many people. Um, it just, it sucks, and, and maybe we'll see. But I just think the more carries Berger gets, the more he's going to impress people, and the more that you're going to have to keep on feeding him. It. Um, I don't know if he. he I, I don't think he's physically ready for 25 carries a game. But when he's rolling like he was on Saturday, I think you have to keep on feeding it to him. You know what's crazy too is uh, I know it's been a, a by committee approach, and uh, they ran for a ton of yards against Michigan on those jet sweeps. They still haven't yet had a hundred yard rusher. That's four straight in the first games. Three games of the year. Can That's you believe it? Yeah, four straight games going back to the Rose Bowl last year. So, yeah, never would have thought that, thought that was with Wisconsin, but it you know it is by committee at this point. But I had had they uh, I think a lot of people would say if they gave Berger one more carry, he would have had a hundred yards uh, based on what he was averaging or close to it. Uh, Mark says um, the D was great again. Anyone on that side of the ball to keep an eye out for now that the Big Ten title is out of reach. Meaning the idea that they're going to start playing a whole bunch of young guys because the Big Ten title is out of reach, which is not going to happen. But um, no. <laughs> who, who are some of the young guys? I think off the top here, Spencer Lytle, I think, is a guy that we could potentially yep. be seeing a, a bunch more of, especially with Isaiah Green May now out for the year. I would say Spencer Lytle is is the guy that I would be paying attention to. Obviously, Nick Herbig is is one of your starters. And then Noah Burks and, and C.J. Getz are also playing – a huge number of snaps, but I think as Spencer continues to get more and more experience uh, as a redshirt freshman, you'll be seeing him. I, th- I think that'd be the guy I'd be looking out for. Yeah, I would have said Getz and Lytle, and Getz has played a lot more here early in the season, but um, Lytle wasn't healthy enough, really, his first year, and and, Bo- and Bobby April talked about it, uh, so that set him back and really didn't give him an opportunity, but I mean, this is a guy who had 40-plus scholarship offers who could have gone basically anywhere. He picked Wisconsin over Clemson. It was a really big deal for the Badgers to land him, and I think that's, that is one guy. I don't know that I can say anybody in the in the inside linebacker group because if they were ready, they would have played, in, I, you would think, in some capacity against Northwestern, although Sanborn and, and Chanel are just playing at a different level. So, I mean, as you go down the list, I don't, I don't know that there's a ton of guys. I mean, maybe there's someone at cornerback like, Samar Melvin, but we've seen him. He started a couple games last year. Yep. Um, I thought it was interesting that Dean Ingram was returning punts, though, when uh, when Jack Dunn was hurt. Um, not that he was out there at corner, but just an, another young guy that you've heard about and haven't really had an opportunity to see. Um, but beyond that, Wisconsin's coaches aren't going to just start playing young guys because they're not going to win the Big Ten championship. Like that's That's not necessarily how they roll, but at the same time, this is one of those years where you can get somebody a handful of snaps. Um, it can mean a lot down the road because this is a free year and uh, in terms of eligibility and maybe just a season in general. I don't know if you say this year is a wash because they're they're playing games and they're getting experience, but uh, you know, six seven game season is definitely not the norm. Yeah, it's not ideal. I was just gonna right before his last return. I was about to say, damn, D Ingram should be getting more opportunities back there. He. He catches the ball even in traffic, like uh, all those issues that people have with with Jack Dunn letting balls 
drop down and, and, and not going up and make and then he went and fumbled then he went and fumbled it and then I was like all right I'm glad I didn't say that uh, John says in the long term people are going to excuse Mertz's play because of the injuries uh, and players unavailable to the team but he made some bad decisions did not look confident at times those turnovers were largely on him we kind of talked about this already but is there a QB competition with Cone when he gets back I don't know about a competition. Like, what, what kind of competition would you have in practice? I don't think this is the point of the season where you do a competition. You have to just make a decision based on what you feel is best for the team at this point. Uh, or you, I mean, you're not going to divvy up snaps and practice 50-50 and see who gets the job. That's what preseason practice is for. So you just have to go with your gut on that one. But I do think that that singular performance does open the door for that conversation, even if it doesn't mean they're going to make a decision one way or the other. Graham's going to have more opportunities. Graham's going to play against Minnesota, and let's see how he responds. He certainly sounded confident after the game. He's somebody who takes responsibility for for what happens on the field. I completely agree. He was not very good. He made some bad decisions, uh, and he put Wisconsin in some difficult spots. But... Um, one other thing I think is interesting, and I, I don't know if this is a tangent or not, but have you ever heard a quarterback, at least in recent years at Wisconsin, talk the way that Graham does when dissecting a play? I always find that really interesting. Like when you ask him what he saw or what went wrong, mm-hmm. he'll tell you the coverage. He'll tell you what they ran. He'll still tell you in a way that is something I haven't really heard from a quarterback before. That, that doesn't really uh, determine whether he or Jack's going to play, but right. it's just something I've been thinking about. I don't I'm, <laughs> Uh, you appreciate I don't know. Do you it? Do think that's interesting at all? You appreciate it? I, I I do. Having you know listened to Aaron Rodgers for the last 15 years, he can tell you from a game in 2009 in Week 7 in the third quarter on third and eighth what kind of coverage a team uh, was playing and, and the throw that he made and that type of stuff. It's he's He's got that kind of recall. It's, it is. It's, it's a special talent, and it's nice to see or nice to hear from guys because, you know, for whatever reason, that's not necessarily what we have heard from Wisconsin quarterbacks for the most part, um, especially the last few years. But yeah, it's uh, it is nice. You know, Northwestern also they just they mixed up coverages so well that I think they confused him. And, and what I, I wrote this to the lead to my game story, but that second interception was a perfect example that he thought he had a window. He said he had the right window and missed it a little high, but he missed it because Northwestern's defense was so good. They put a linebacker underneath, so Graham had to put a little more air on it, and there was no room for it, so he overthrew Jack Dunn. Uh, not that there's a wide uh, reach <laughs> with him to begin with. It's not like you're throwing a Ferguson. And it was an interception, and it was the second interception that he threw to the same guy in three minutes. So, um, yeah, he wasn't very good. Northwestern's defense deserves a lot of credit for that, too. Yes, they do. John says, uh, what happened to Danny Davis and, and Kendrick Pryor? Couldn't find out what happened to them. One was a, They were not available. <laughs> yeah. What, well, I mean, obviously, uh, Kendrick Pryor left the previous game with an upper body injury. It sounded like he was close to playing. At least, uh, you know, Paul Chris said that late in the week, they kind of found, fi- figured out that they wouldn't have him. And then the other one was Danny Davis going. He said something about protocol. I don't think he was talking about uh, COVID protocol because, you know, Danny played last week. So I think he was probably talking about concussion protocol. But I think, obviously, we don't know that for sure because they are not differentiating between guys when they're out, whether it's injury or COVID related. So we don't know for sure. But I, I imagine they both of those guys have a very good chance of playing this week, assuming they actually play the game. 
Minnesota had a ton of guys out uh, against Purdue on Friday night, and I'm wondering uh, we'll we'll see, you know, how many they lose. It feels like they're just playing through. I mean, they've had guys out much of the year, but they they just keep on playing through it. But what do you think about Minnesota? What is, what kind of game do you think it's going to be? Do you think Wisconsin bounces back and has a little bit of fire after after what happened at Northwestern, or it's going to be a tight game? Because North, Minnesota's defense for much of the year has not been great. Uh, they've they, the backup quarterback kind of threw it all over him against Purdue and and. Purdue won that game. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, speaking of horrible, horrible pass interference calls, um, Friday night that anybody watched that game, a guy getting called for a push off on on uh, what would have been a, uh, I believe, a game winning touchdown. Either way, what kind of game are you expecting on Saturday? I, I think, I think Wisconsin's going to roll in this <laughs> one for some reason. Um, which is it's funny because uh, you know I. Uh, I do this other show where I pick the spreads and and, and who I think is going to cover, and I've picked against uh, Wisconsin all three times, and for some reason I just feel like they're going to play well against Maryland or Minnesota, and obviously that's predicated on whether they've got Davis or Pryor because who knows what the offense looks like without him. But Minnesota's defense has been bad. The Gophers are not very good. I'm sure P.J. Fleck will have them all riled up for this game, but I don't know. I feel like it's a good – Mertz bounce back game that shows how good he can be. Yeah, everybody poops uh, is what PJ Fleck read to his team a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you heard about that. Did you hear about that? Uh, I've not really spent much time <laughs> paying attention to what he does over there. Oh, okay, uh, I just I just know that uh, Minnesota has given up seven point seven yards per play defensively, and that is the worst in the Big Ten. So I just think the offense is going to get going, and I have full confidence in Wisconsin's defense because they've shown up. For every game this season yeah I, I, it's not going to be easy I, I don't think you know defensively you know with uh with, with Tanner Morgan and, and obviously Rashad Bateman and Ibrahim but I I feel you have to feel good about it a little least I mean their, their defense has been rock solid Wisconsin's has these these three games that they've actually gotten to play I, I can't wait to see the Indiana game and even Iowa Iowa's have Iowa has caught a little bit of fire as well uh, especially offensively. So, yeah, I mean, they got some exciting games. These la- these last three should be exciting. And then whoever they get in the Champions Week, uh, I mean, it could be a, a rematch, I guess, with with Indiana potentially. Um, if if Wisconsin ends up finishing second, I don't. They may not, they may not finish second. Assuming if I mean if Purdue goes on and wins the rest of their games, they would only have one loss, and so they would obviously be over. Purdue Wisconsin. has two losses. Uh, you're right because they lost to Minnesota. My bad. Yeah. Um bad so, loss. It, was a, it wasn't a bad loss. It was, they got robbed. They got they they talk about highway robbery. Did you see the play? Did you see the game on Friday night at all? No. The Minnesota Purdue like, game? <laughs> you I know you're you, you yeah, I know. You got you've got a kid, you've got some things going on that uh are are is much bigger than football that you don't have time to sit around and drink and watch uh Minnesota Purdue. But I would. Yeah, no, I know, I know, I know. Uh I only turned it on I only I was watching it on GameCast because we were doing something else. Um, but then I, when it got down to the uh, to the end, I turned it on and, oof, my goodness, that was a bad, bad call. Uh, I'll end with this one, Jesse. And you may have to think about it a little bit. Sean asks, and he, it's a question for me, but I, I want to ask you as well. In, in games that you've covered, he says this loss stings, but what Wisconsin loss? has hurt you the most. Now obviously I know you don't care about Wisconsin in terms of, you know, <laughs> w- you know, you don't care whether they win or lose um, you know, emotionally. But what game since you've been covering the team has been the toughest loss do you think for the the team as a whole? Whether it's a Rose Bowl or 
uh, a Big Ten championship game or, or uh, you know, a, a regular season game that didn't go their way? Which one afterwards could you tell hurt the most for players? Wow. There's been a lot of games where they lost and they didn't play well enough to win and you think they should have, and a lot of them were Northwestern games. But the yeah. one to me that probably stands out as you ask that yeah. has to be the 2017 Big Ten championship game against Ohio State. And it's not because Wisconsin was supposed to win that game, um, even though they were ranked higher. It was just because of what that would have meant for the program if the Badgers had won and how close they actually were. They're at midfield with a few minutes left, down six with a chance to win the game, stay undefeated, go to the college football playoff. The thing we've been talking about since the playoff uh, became a thing. And really even going back to the, the BCS system that Wisconsin couldn't quite break through. So to me, that was a game where Wisconsin played okay and put themselves in position but that loss is the one that stands out because of what it would have meant. They, yeah, they've lost Rose Bowls and those hurt. But it's not like winning one of those in the last 10, 15 years would have meant they were a national champion or right. had an opportunity to, to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. What do you think about the 20? 20- I was going to say, go ahead. Uh, I was going to ask which one stands out to you. I was wondering. No, I was I was thinking a Big Ten championship game. but the, And that one obviously stands out. But what about the year before? Oh, the Penn State one where they were up like three touchdowns in the first half? They were 28-7. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that probably hurts. Yeah, there's different kinds of gut punches, (laughs) right, if you're a fan, because there are ones where you're like, uh, we got it in the bag, and then it's it's fading away, and you can't believe you lost. And that's one of those. Um, But still, that Ohio State one is the one that stands out to me just because of what it would have meant. Wisconsin – probably wasn't going to the playoff if they beat Penn State that year because they had a couple losses. Right. Yeah. No, that's that's true. I obviously have covered it since 2013, so I don't I'm I won't pick anything there cuz it has lost the emotional tie to it, but the uh, the 2011 Rose Bowl, I I'm talking about talking as a fan, when I was still a fan, the 2011 Rose Bowl stands out because even though TC was favored in that game, Wisconsin was just rolling people at the end of that year in 2010. They were just rolling over guys. And I still maintain that if that Rose Bowl had been played a week after the Northwestern game, that they scored 70 points, that they win, they beat TCU going away. But they didn't. And they just played so poorly. And Paul Christ had such a rough game play calling wise um, that 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 one hurts. And I, I can remember that two point conversion not going down, you know, getting knocked down and Hitting, I was at the Rose Bowl and just hitting the seat behind me like, no, I can't believe it. What he, no. So that that one hurt. But then this is a, a random game, and it has probably has a lot to do with the fact that I was just – I had had a few drinks. And <laughs> um, and it went went to a – I just remember sitting at a, at a bar that night just pounding the table like, how did they lose this? 2000 against Northwestern. They had almost made their way through the – shoebox scandal they had almost made their way through all these suspensions uh it was just the last game and went back and forth and and they they lost that game late to northwestern and uh it was this you know it ended up not being the season that everyone thought it could be they started that year in the top i think i think it was top five in the country but i just remembered after that game just no northwestern how do you lose to northwestern well we found out why they lose to northwestern because they lose northwestern's a bunch um, There's been so many games that were yeah. one possession games that you can't believe Wisconsin lost. I'm just going back and looking now and trying to go through the memory bank. The, the one of the ones that 
you just felt if you were a fan, you were so infuriated is the Arizona State Joel oh, Stavi kneel down yes. game. Yes. Just because it was like you didn't they didn't even give Wisconsin a chance. That's that's one that stands out uh, because it felt like Wisconsin just needed an opportunity and didn't get it because of the referees. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of one possession losses throughout that, but, that, but that's one that's like a total gut punch. Cause you just never got the chance. I still remember walking into, uh, or it was, it was after the interviews and walking to the car or w- walking back towards the buses. I was walking back up toward the, this, the, the press box and walked out with Desmond Southward. And, and I looked at him and he just dropped a whole bunch of <laughs> expletives. When I asked him, what'd you think? What'd you think about that last little bit? Uh, or what do you really think about that last little bit? And uh, there were some there were some expletives dropped there, but that was and th- for a regular season game, that was as emotional of a post game locker room or a post game availability. I, I can't remember the guy who it was, but one of them was crying in there, and that's usually reserved for Final Four locker rooms where you where you lose in the Final Four, you lose in the championship game. Those you know, but. I mean, there, there's been so many games that haven't gone Wisconsin's way. Like you get so close and it doesn't happen. But it has also been out, been very much countered by some of the just improbable wins that they've had as well. Whether it is 2004 against you know Purdue, 2005 against Minnesota, just some of the improbable wins that you had that I can go back and think of. You know, it, for the most part, it has evened out though of late. It has been a continuous real kick in the <clears throat> um, for uh, for Wisconsin sports fans just in general. But either way, this week didn't go well. Wisconsin now will move ahead and look forward to trying getting the uh, or keeping the axe. I like Graham Mertz. He caught himself. Graham Mertz said, uh, "We're we're going to turn the page, learn and move on, and we're going to go get the axe. Uh, we're going to keep the axe from from Graham Mertz." So he knows he and everybody else in that locker room knows what's important this week, and that is holding on to a Paul Bunyan's axe, uh, something that, you know, I think that with the Big Ten West title probably out of reach is now the most important thing for the rest of the year, correct? In their minds, maybe? Uh, I, I I think of the Paul Clich- Chris cliche of it's the, like the most important thing because it's the game they're playing this week. I don't know. I mean, there's some other big games. I'm, I'm, the, I'm almost more interested in the other two. Just because of how well I was playing and what, what Indiana's done, I didn't ask what you but, were interested in. I was, I was, I'm wondering what fan. What do you think fans is most important? I think, I think this week the is axe. the most important of you the three. Beat Minnesota. There's much more disdain now that PJ Fleck is the coach. So yeah, it's this one. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens on Saturday. And uh, thank you very much, Jesse. Thanks, Zach. All right. You've been listening to the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.